Hello and welcome to the Antibody Drug Conjugate edition of Sightlines podcast. In this month's podcast, we'll be highlighting and discussing hot topics surrounding ADCs. First off, I'd like to introduce myself, Ellie, and Data Monitor Healthcare's oncology analyst, Millie. Hi. So antibody drug conjugates, or ADCs for short, are essentially cytotoxic drugs that are covalently linked to monoclonal antibodies. And they're designed so that they can more specifically kill tumour cells and spare healthy cells. This, hypothetically, should result in less off-target effects and so less toxicity. Um, ADCs comprise of three core elements. Uh, firstly, you have the antibody, which is directed against a specific tumour antigen. Um, you also have the cytotoxic drug or the payload and the linker that connects the drug to the antibody. So an ideal target or antigen should be one that is both highly expressed and exclusively expressed on tumour cell surfaces, and it should be absent or have low expression in healthy tissues. This makes the ADC highly targeted and highly potent, which limits the toxicity to the patient, although on-target adverse events are not completely avoided. So when an ADC is administered into a patient, the linker basically helps antibody deliver and release the cytotoxic drug at tumour sites, and it plays a role in the ADC's stability. So ultimately, a stable ADC linker ensures that less of the cytotoxic payload falls off before it reaches the tumour cell. Um, So this means improved safety and limited dosages. Linkers are based on chemical motifs, um, including disulfides, hydrozones or peptides, and these are cleavable, or thioethers, um, which are non-cleavable. And you also have the payloads, which are cytotoxic drugs um, being delivered. Many of the payloads are natural product based, such as microtubulin inhibitors, topoisomerase 1 inhibitors or glucocorticoid receptor modulators. And when the ADC antibody binds to a specific antigen on the tumour cell, the ADC is absorbed into the tumour by um, endocytosis and lysosomal degradation um, then releases the cytotoxic drug from the ADC antibody and linker. And the drug can then go and bind to its intracellular target, which then causes cell death. So it kills the tumour cell. The ADC space has become super active recently, um, as a lot of companies are seeing them as the next big thing. As of May 2023, the FDA has approved 14 ADCs and Segan is either the lead or partner company for four of them. So this is Adcetris, Blenrep, Edexi and Padsev. There are also currently 11 ADCs in phase three development across the US. In her two is, I'm sure, a name that most people um, have heard of. And it's easily one of the most prominent ADCs and was first approved in 2019 for the treatment of HER2 positive metastatic breast cancer. And HER2 consists of a HER2 monoclonal antibody, um, which is Herceptin, attached to a topoisomerase 1 inhibitor, Deruxican, um payload, which is an extican derivative. And it's connected by a stable tetrapeptide-based cleavable linker. So Herceptin binds to and blocks signaling through uh, epidermal growth factor 2 receptor, HER2, on cancers that rely on it for growth. And so once it's bound to HER2 receptors, the antibody is internalised by the cell and it's carrying the druxican um, along with it. And here that interferes with the cell's um, ability to make DNA structural changes and replicate its DNA during cell division. So this leads to DNA damage when the cell attempts to replicate itself. So eventually it destroys the cell. Millie, 
As you're the expert on breast cancers, I'll let you explain in more detail how it's doing in those settings. Yeah, so in HER2 is a particularly interesting ADC as of course it targets HER2 with its antibody section, but it's recently made history by showing efficacy in HER2 low patients, um, giving it an approval in HR positive HER2 low and triple negative breast cancer patients. So it's actually now the only novel targeted agent to be approved across all three breast cancer subtypes. And it's shown amazing efficacy in both HER2 low and HER2 positive patients. So that is kind of the question of mechanistically, why is it still so effective even in these HER2 low patients if it's targeting HER2? And as HER2 low suggests by the name, these patients have low levels of HER2 on their tumour cells. So HER2 low patients are characterised by a HER2 immunohistochemistry score of one or two. And if it's two, then no gene amplification can be detected to be classed as HER2 low. So in theory, in HER2 should be less effective in these patients as there is less of its antibody target present. Um, however, it has been uh, postulated that because in HER2 has a payload to antibody ratio of eight to one, um, so for every one antibody which binds to HER2, there are eight molecules of cytotoxic agent that are delivered. Um, and that makes the drug highly potent. And that is why it's thought to be so effective even in HER2 low patients, because it can deliver an extremely high amount of payload per HER2 mo molecule. So um, just to highlight how it is still maintains such good efficacy, even in HER2 low patients, in the Destiny Breast 04 trial, which was looking at these HER2 low patients, the HR positive HER2 treated patients had a 36% reduction in death in risk of death um, versus chemotherapy. Um, and HER2 negative patients um, had a 52% reduction in risk of death compared to chemotherapy, which is very strong data in both groups. Um, and although the HR negative cohort was small, um, with only 58 patients included in the analysis, the overwhelming data uh, still indicates in HER2's efficacy in these patients. Um, and the numbers uh, do make sense and reflect real-world epidemiology, as it is thought that HER2-low tumours are much more common in HR-positive patients as opposed to um, triple-negative uh, patients. Um, and there has been some early research coming out that HER2-low patients respond similarly to HER2-negative patients. So these are patients who have a HER2 immunohistochemistry score of zero. Um, and this would be another opportunity for NHER2 to expand its approval even more, particularly into the triple negative breast cancer population who are notoriously hard to treat. Um, however, this data is still in its early stages and there will need to be more trials um, initiated um, to investigate this. So it's not something that's happening in the near future because um, a lot more research is going to need to be done into this, but it is interesting. Um, and as you mentioned, Ellie, it is also approved for HER2 positive breast cancer. Um, and sales are at, of NHER2 in this indication are expected to eclipse uh, a competing ADC, CADSILA, by 2026, which is very impressive considering CADSILA has been a well-established standard of care in HER2 positive breast cancer since its approval in 2013. It 
was the Destiny Breast 03 trial, which tipped the scales in Inherti's favour here and led it to gain an approval in the second line metastatic setting back in 2021. Um, and this trial compared Inherti and Cadsila head to head and Inherti came out on top showing a 36% reduction in risk of death compared to Cadsila with a very similar safety profile. And interestingly, um, this efficacy data is comparable to in HER2 in the HR positive arm of the HER2 low trial we discussed before. So um, definitely in the breast cancer world at the moment, and this is becoming apparent even in other indications that it's also being investigated in, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. So in non-small cell lung cancer, in HER2 was the first ADC approved in August last year. Um, and HER2 is approved for the treatment of advanced or metastatic non-small cell lung cancer patients um, who have HER2 mutations and have been treated with platinum-based chemotherapy and or a PD-1 or PDL1 inhibitor. Um, so these patients have been really, really heavily pretreated and are often very hard to treat and have limited options available to them. These patients are often treated with non-platinum-based chemotherapy um, and no other targeted therapies have actually been approved yet. So while HER2 positive patients are not a large subgroup of non-small cell lung cancer patients, uh, the HER2 mutation affects approximately 2 to 4% of patients with non-squamous cell, non-small cell lung cancer. However, as um, in HER2 is the first targeted therapy approved for these patients and competitors' efficacy are lagging, it will dominate this market for the foreseeable future. In the phase two Destiny Lung 01 trial, her 2 demonstrated a median PFS and median OS of 8.2 months and 17.8 months respectively. And based on these results, her 2 was subsequently granted breakthrough therapy designation in 2020. Then in Destiny Lung 02, which is another phase two trial, her 2 showed a 53.8% objective response rate and a disease control rate of over 90%. Both Destiny Lung 01 and Destiny Lung 02 um, compare favourably to other pipeline therapies, such as the Citrovastinab and Obdivo combination, which showed an objective response rate of 28.6, but last week went on to fail its phase three trial um, over a lack of OS benefit. And Tisimitimab, Rabtanzine, which has shown an overall response rate of 20.3% in patients with some um, five high expressing tumours. Aside from non-small cell lung cancer and breast cancer, inher is also approved in gastric cancer. So compared to non-small cell lung cancer, there are more patients that have um, HER2 positive tumours um, in gastric cancer. Around 20% of patients are HER2 positive and these patients are usually treated with Herceptin in the first line. So inher has received an approval for the treatment of third-line or later patients who have previously received Herceptin or a biosimilar um, treatment. And it has really good data in this population who previously didn't have many treatment options available to them. However, um, it's had reports of grade five interstitial lung disease across a few of the trials, and this toxicity really limits it to the third-line or later treatment, um, with physicians often opting for Ceramza instead. Ceramza is, is approved regardless of HER2 expression in the second line and beyond setting and is one of the only other options really besides general chemotherapy. So while I think Daichi Sankyo was hoping in HER2 would become the new standard of care for second line 
her two positive patients. I think it's settled more into the third line position here. I think that's a really good point. Um, there were incidences of grade five interstitial lung disease for inhertia and breast cancer as well, which may limit its uptake to the metastatic setting where patients have relative, relatively limited options. Um, of course, it is only approved in the metastatic settings right now, but there are various trials such as the phase three Destiny Breast 05 trial, looking at bringing it into the earlier HER2 positive neoadjuvant setting or the Destiny Breast 11 trial for the adjuvant HER2 positive setting, where these patients tend to be uh, much healthier and needing to retain a higher quality of life. So it will be interesting to see the safety data from these trials when they are available. Um, and this is, of course, an incredibly lucrative setting and a large patient population. So an approval here will be key to maintaining maximum possible revenues. Um, and I just wanted to add, um, you can't discuss ADCs in breast cancer and not mention Tridelvi. So Tridelvi is another ADC which um, has a TROP2 targeted antibody and an SN38 payload. So it was first approved in metastatic um, triple negative breast cancer um, and it was quickly cemented as standard of care. So even in HER2's more recent approval here is not likely to topple it as the gold standard for um, pre-treated metastatic patients in triple negative. Um, but unfortunately, in HR positive, HER2 negative breast cancer, this is not so much the case. Um, in HER2, managed to gain approval first after the data from Destiny of Breast 04. Um, and Tradelvi's data from its own HR positive, HER2 negative trial, Tropix, was underwhelming. So Tradelvi only managed to increase um, PFS by 1.5 months. And although OS data uh, released later on was a little bit more positive, um, improving overall survival by 3.2 months compared to chemotherapy, um, this data was still not as impressive as what Inherti managed to show in Destiny Breast 04. Um, and so Inherti is therefore forecast to be more successful in this patient segment just due to its early approval and superior efficacy. Um, Gilead are still trying to maximise uh, Tridelby's profitability with the Phase uh, 3 Ascent 03 trial, looking at untreated triple negative breast cancer patients who do not express PDL1 or who have been treated with an anti pdl one or PD1 um, inhibitor in the earlier settings um, who do express PDL1. So this will be a really large setting in TMBC. Um, there is a large area of unmet uh, need for patients who are unable to receive ICI treatment in the first line setting, either through lack of biomarker expression or due to retreatment concerns. They are also looking at un the untreated metastatic um, TMBC population who do express PDL1 um, in the phase three Ascent 04 trial, which is a smaller population and competition may be more fierce as Tocentric is approved in the EU for the PDL1 um, expressing patients, but it still could generate a decent amount of cash nonetheless. And Tridelvi is also approved in bladder cancer, which is an indication with generally very limited treatment options outside of chemotherapy. So it is approved here for previously treated metastatic disease, um, but has relatively weak clinical data available for its use. And it's actually expected to lag behind another ADC approved for bladder cancer, which is PADSEV. So PADSEV is an ADC comprised of a Nectin-4 targeted antibody attached to a synthetic cytotoxic agent uh, named MMAE. 
So it was approved for patients who have received a PD-1 or PDL one inhibitor and platinum-based chemotherapy. Um, also previously treated to patients who are cisplatin ineligible. And then later it got a third approval for first line patients in combination with Keytruda. So the latter setting is a large treatable population than the first two um, initial approvals. And its prospects are looking really good. It's expected to outperform Tridelvi in its indication, with PADSEV revenues expected to peak at $2.8 billion in 2031 after a steady growth period, um, whereas Tridelvi revenues are, have expected to already have peaked in, back in 2020 at $334 million, um, after which they are expected to decline. However, these figures are very small in comparison to what INHER2 is expected to gain. Yeah, very much so. Um, in her 2022 worldwide revenues across all indications were 1.3 billion, which was double the 600 million in sales um, it reached in 2021. So this is largely due to an approval in non-small cell lung cancer and label expansions in breast and also just continued uptake of the drug. So we predict um, non-small cell lung cancer contributed the least to these sales figures as it was only approved in this indication in the second half of last year and a much lower percentage of the patient population in non-small cell lung cancer is HER2 positive compared to both breast and gastric cancer. Um, so there's around two to four percent of patients in non-small cell lung cancer as I said earlier compared to the 20 percent in gastric and breast. Non-small cell lung cancer sales in the US, 5EU and Japan were estimated to be around 35 million in 2022 and gastric cancer contributed 90 million in sales across the G7. But breast cancer is where INHER2 ultimately gathers um, the majority of its revenues, standing at 867 million in, the G in G7 sales in 2022. The majority um, of these sales were from H. HER2 positive breast cancer, understandably. Yeah, HER2 positive is a huge indication, but in HER2 is forecast to generate revenues of $3.1 billion in 2013, just in HER2 positive breast cancer. Then in HR positive HER2 low breast cancer is expected to reach revenues of $2.2 billion in 2031. And in triple negative, it's expected to have revenues of $346 million in 2031. So this totals at approximately $5.6 billion of revenue in 2031 alone. Um, and we predict in HER2 revenues across non-small cell lung cancer, breast and gastric in the G7 to hit over $7.5 billion in 2031. I'd also like to mention um, a smaller indication that is seeing ADCs integrate themselves into the treatment algorithm, and that is ovarian cancer. So ovarian cancer has largely been dominated by chemotherapy and PARP inhibitors for years, um, with even immunotherapy not yet seeing any approvals in this indication. But last year in November, however, Elahir, um, which is a folate receptor alpha targeting ADC, won an approval for the subset of patients with high folate receptor alpha expression who have recurrent platinum resistant disease and have previously been treated with at least one prior systemic regimen. Elahir is composed of a humanized uh, monoclonal antibody targeting folate receptor alpha and that's conjugated to a potent cytotoxic DM4 um, by a cleavable linker. Elahir has had a rocky development history as previously, it failed to meet its primary endpoint of improved 
progression-free survival in the intention to treat population of its initial phase three forward one trial. However, in a retrospective analysis, the PFS of and OR and OS were all longer in patients who received Elahir in the pre-specified folate receptor alpha high subgroup um, compared with patients who received chemotherapy. So immunogen suggested its trial failure was actually due to the simplified 10 times staining method, which was used to determine folate receptor alpha levels. And when the PS2 plus scoring was used um, to detect folate receptor alpha status, Elahir significantly improved both PFS and OS in the folate receptor alpha high subgroup. So immunogen went, went into talks with the FDA and they initiated the single arm phase three Soraya trial in the confirmatory phase three Mirasol trial, um, both of these in heavily pretreated folate receptor alpha high platinum resistant ovarian cancer patients. And both of these trials utilize the PS2 plus scoring method. And as I mentioned previously, ADCs are often targeted at patients who have previously um, been heavily treated and are lacking um, active treatment options. And this was the case here. So these platinum resistant patients have often run out of options beside chemotherapy. So Elahir won an approval off the back of the single arm Soraya trial um, and confirmatory data from Mirasol has solidified its approval in the setting. A European submission is also expected um, for Elahir in early 2023. I'd also like to mention the areas where companies are targeting their pipeline aid disease. Uh, Non-small cell lung cancer is probably the hottest target for companies developing ADCs. Um, there are currently four in phase three development against a variety of targets such as HER3, TROP2 and MET. Chemotherapy, targeted therapy and immunotherapies, including monoclonal antibodies, have drastically improved survival in non-small cell lung cancer. However, the majority of patients will develop acquired resistance to these options, which means there is definitely a gap in the market for a highly active therapy for these heavily pretreated patients. Also, the non-small cell lung cancer patient pool is extremely large, and we estimate that in 2022, there were 1.8 million incident cases of non-small cell lung cancer worldwide. And we expect that number to increase to 1.9 million um, incident cases by 2027. So Daichi Sankyo is developing both Datopotamab, Deruxtecam, and Patritumab, Deruxtecam in non-small cell lung cancer. So Datopotamab, Deruxtecam, is a TROP2-directed ADC being tested in previously treated non-small cell lung cancer patients um, without an actionable mutation in the phase 3 tropian lung one trial, as well as in treatment-naive patients with PDL one um, levels of less than 50% in the phase 3 tropian lung 7 trial. Patritumab deruxtecan is the first anti-HER3 monoclonal antibody in development for the treatment of non-small cell lung cancer in the phase 3 Herthena lung O2 trial in patients with EGFR-mutated advanced or metastatic non-small cell lung cancer whose disease has progressed following treatment with a third-generation EGFR inhibitor. HER3 as a target has not yet been investigated in non-small cell lung cancer, and it's suggested that many patients with EGFR mutant lung cancer will also be positive for HER3 on the cell surface. However, there does not seem to be a correlation between HER3 expression levels and the activity of patritumab deruxtecan. Given that most therapies in development for EGFR resistance um, 
target specific mutations, patritumab deroxycans efficacy across all resistance mutations could be a major competitive advantage. Sanofi's tosamatumab ravtansine is an ADC directed towards sesam um, 5, a cell surface protein with limited expression in normal tissue and overexpression in approximately 20% of non-squamous um, non-small cell lung cancer cases. Pilosotuzumab um, vedotin is an ADC targeting CMET being developed by AbbVie for the treatment of advanced or metastatic EGFR wild type non-squamous cell um, non-small cell lung cancer patients with high levels of CMET overexpression. And these are both in development for previously treated patients. Although late phase data is yet to be released for all of these drugs, um, so it's hard to predict the extent of their success, Datiportumab deruxacan is expected to generate significant sales over 800 million in um, 2031 across um, the US, 5EU and Japan. And this is owing to its expected approvals across the large and commercially lucrative first line and second line and beyond settings for patients with no actionable mutation. Also, as the drug is expected to be approved as a monotherapy, it will offer a favourable cost um, to benefit ratio compared to the other re regimens, which are all in development as combinations. Um, and it also may be associated with less clinical and financial toxicity. Datapotamab is also being investigated in HR positive, perty negative breast cancer and in triple negative breast cancer. So both in the pre-treated metastatic setting. And as you said, Ellie, there isn't really any late phase data released yet, just some data from the phase one tropion pan tumor one trial, um, which has decent efficacy and a manageable safety profile in both tumor types, but not really enough data to fully evaluate the agent's potential in these indications. I think Daiichi Sangyu knows there are high expectations after their success with NHER2, and hopefully they do deliver on them. Um, and targeting the pre-treated metastatic setting is usually a good strategy because these patients are in dire need of new options as they've often already exhausted the drugs that are already available to them. So even a small clinical benefit can warrant an approval for a novel therapy. However, they are a smaller patient population than first and second line settings, so profits can be limited by this factor. Um, but yeah, more data will definitely help us get a better read on this ADC in breast cancer. In addition to this, in TMBC, there is another ADC in development called SKB264, which is a TROP2 targeted ADC conjugated to a top topoisomerase 1 inhibitor. Um, it's being investigated in the third line um, and beyond setting. So a similar strategy to what I mentioned for datopotamab deroxtecan. A phase one trial found that SKB264 treated patients, 40% um, of them had a partial response to treatment, although um, it is important to note the patient size in this trial was five. So two of these five treated patients had a partial response. Um, and this is, of course, a very small data set. And again, it's difficult to evaluate it without data from a larger set. But a phase three trial has been initiated in centres across both the US and China. So we will soon see if efficacy is going to be maintained in a larger population. 
Um, safety is also a hot topic for ADCs and we did briefly touch on it earlier. So Inhertu has famously been associated with high rates of grade five interstitial lung disease. Uh, Tradelvi has two black box warnings. So this, as we mentioned, is probably going to limit the majority of ADC use to the metastatic setting where patients tend to be sicker and quality of life is less of an issue. Um, that being said, after Inhertu's initial approval um, and the understanding of interstitial lung disease has now grown, rates of this ILD has uh, rates of ILD have decreased um, as doctors are better informed of the risks and what to watch out for. They're better at treating it when the symptom arises and reducing dosages uh, when needed. Now that it is a highlighted risk. Um, and I think this may be a rationale Daiichi Sankyo um, focus on when trying to market and her to in the earlier stage settings that with proper and frequent monitoring quality of life could be maintained. However, um, as physicians have already reported um, using less of alternative drugs due to um, burdensome monitoring. So for one, one example is Cascali in HR positive HER2 negative breast cancer, which requires EKG monitoring. Uh, this may be a limited limiting factor um, in use of HER2 in these earlier stage settings. I agree. Um, we have seen similar uh, things happening within her to a non-small cell lung cancer as they tested both a 6.5 milligram per kilogram dose and a 5.4 milligram per kilogram dose, but only continued with the 5.4 milligram dose as the higher dose was associated with high levels of toxicity, including ILD. What's actually interesting is that ILD is mostly seen um, with use of the anti-HER2 ADCs, However, the detailed mechanism of action of ILD uh, remains unclear. So Ella here has a black box warning for ocular toxicity, but this can be managed uh, pretty easily. And there is speculation that one of the possible reasons for ILD might be due to the undesirable uptake of the ADC in healthy lung cells and free payload release from the ADC um, because the most abundant blood flow and the longest retention time is in the lung, um, the undesirable uptake of the ADC and the free payloads in the blood um, mostly occur in the lung and potentially then go on to induce ILD. Otherwise, among the 14 approved ADCs, the most common severe side effect, which were um, grade three or higher, is hematotoxicity, um, including neutropenia, um, rhombocytopenia, leukopenia and anemia. Now we are developing the third generation of ADCs and beyond. I think the next generations of ADC should be optimised to reduce adverse reactions as best as possible. And speaking of next generation ADCs, I think it's important to mention that we are seeing just the beginning of what we predict will be a booming market. The global ADC market size was valued at $7.82 billion in 2022, and it's expected to grow at a compound annual growth rate of 11.2% from 2023 to 2030. The market is primarily driven by the rising incidence of cancer globally, and also the huge number of heavily pretreated patients with high unmet need that these highly active drugs are targeting. The recent acquisition of Segan by Pfizer in March 2023 um, for a huge $43 billion showcases that companies are really focusing their efforts in this area. 
Segan marks Pfizer's latest purchase and a string of recent acquisitions utilizing its cash windfall from its COVID-19 vaccine and treatment. Segan, as mentioned earlier, has the most approved ADCs on the market. And um, with ADCs being a hot commodity right now um, and an area a lot of pharma companies are focusing on, it's no surprise that this is one of the biggest deals in the field. In 2023, Segan is projected to generate around $2.2 billion in revenues from its four ADCs, royalties and collaboration and license agreements. Pfizer believes that Segan has the potential to contribute more than $10 billion in risk-adjusted revenues in 2030 and even higher beyond 2030. The company also plans to submit several investigational new drug applications in the foreseeable future. These INDs are expected to include Segan's next generation linker payload technologies for ADCs and other innovative antibody platforms that directly engage the immune system to destroy tumours, such as bispecific antibodies. Thanks for that, Millie. That's really interesting. And that concludes our antibody drug conjugate podcast. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Goodbye.